Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Life in the Wildlands podcast, where we discuss exciting opportunities with outdoor careers, share professional experiences, and provide advice to overcome the hurdles to federal employment. I am your host, Becky Schufelt, and today we have Jesse Plummer, who is a field specialist for the El Dorado National Forest in California. And he's going to share how he got started with his career with the Forest Service, how he obtained a permanent position, got an opportunity for training to be a drone pilot, and provide advice for those that want to enter into the outdoor career field. Thank you for joining us, Jesse. So go ahead and tell us more about yourself. All right. Well, thank you for having me, Becky. Um, as you said, my name is Jesse Plummer, and I work in fire and fuels on the El Dorado National Forest you know, in the central Sierra. Um, my normal job or what I do on the daily is uh, all the fuels reduction projects on the on a district. So about 200,000 acres of land and um, it's pretty fun. You know, that's a lot of prescribed burning, um, reducing fuels using, you know, tractors and mastication and everything involved with getting crews and partners and everybody out there in the woods to prepare the next, uh, get ready for the next wildfire that we're having and help make sure that it doesn't cause too much damage. So these projects that you're in charge of, these help to reduce fuels uh, with it around the communities as well to help protect them when a big fire incident comes through? Yeah, that's correct. You know, we're never gonna have enough air tankers, enough engines, enough dozers everything available to put the fire out. So what we really are focusing on is reducing the amount of fuel available when there is a fire. And that way it's not as complicated or hazardous to, to structures or to firefighters who, who have to work on that ground. Okay, so Jesse, can you tell us how you started your career with the Forest Service and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I knew that I wanted to work in forestry. I was already doing forestry. I wanted a job outside. I'd worked in the Silicon Valley at a computer startup and kind of, at least I knew that wasn't for me. So I wanted something different. And um, I went to Humboldt State and got a degree in forestry and really just picked that because it sounded cool. And I wanted some of the outside job, something um, that was going to be more meaningful than just working on the computer stuff that I had done for a couple years. And, um, you know, once you're into forestry, the best job in forestry is in fire. And so, you know, I wanted to be going out flying on helicopters, challenging myself, figuring out how, you know, we have a new, new ignition, like what I wanted to learn all about fire and what these guys were doing. And I mean, I, I wanted to be a hotshot for the most part, because I wanted to be in the action and, you know, get the most out of every season and, just see what the job was like. And, and, um, <clears throat> yeah, and it was awesome. <laughs> I, I don't know of any kind of other job like it and I've stuck with it and it's still the best job that I've ever found. So do you have any stories or any experiences that really got you hooked? You know, those, those types of experiences that really inspired you to, really want to continue um, building your career in wildland firefighting? Um, I think I don't really have a big experience that really, you know, set the hook or anything like that. It was just, you know, like every single part of, the, like I mentioned, flying in helicopters, responding to a fire, 
helping out, being out, spiked out in, you know, the Trinity Alps for a couple of weeks, just working on smaller fires and those little things. I, I just, some of those days I'm just thinking like, what else would I rather be doing right now? You know, this is, this is pretty cool. So those incremental things really helped, but then, um, I think it was really just learning more about forestry and fuels reduction and fire management in school where I believed, or I figured out that like, I think I can make a difference here. Like, I think I know like good plans and good ways that we can protect the communities and watching all the fires go in the summer. Um, definitely saw the need for that type of thing. And I just felt like it was a pretty simple or not too crazy complicated amount of solution, you know? So I figured I, I would tow into that. And then, like I mentioned, all the kind of adventure sinking and physical aspects of the job um, were definitely, and still are a big part of it to me. Yeah, I know for me, you know, it's getting those opportunities, those days where you're thinking to yourself, wow, I'm getting paid to do this. And for me, it's been a number of different things I would have never had the opportunity to do before uh, without working for the Forest Service. So do you have any skills or experiences like that that you probably would have never gotten without working in the Forest Service? Um, well, I mean, for work, I've been to Alaska, Canada, Mexico, uh, all across the Western United States. And um, so I've traveled a lot. You travel for work and really just meeting the people, your coworkers, the other firefighters on the line that are working together to figure out how we're going to catch this thing or how we're going to manage it for, you know, the least kind of impact or get some good out of it. Um, that kind of collaboration and accomplishment, I think, has been important as well, or I, I wouldn't have gotten if, if I hadn't taken this kind of job. Do you feel like the work you do has contributed to overall public land stewardship? Mostly because I've seen it work on fires. I've seen our treatments and where we do fields reduction activities. I've seen it work and I've depended on it. And I've really made a lot of my successes on the fire line due to utilizing those recent treatments and, you know, things like force thinning or surface fuels reduction, pruning, utilizing those to stack the deck in our favor um, when we're fighting a fire. And so just every fire I go on, I utilize the places that we've had past fuels reduction treatments. And, um, you know, some of those are more useful than others, but that's where I see it making the most difference. And, you know, definitely on the Caldor fire, we had quite a bit, you know, over a thousand acres of slop overs and spot fires on, on my line. And because of the recent treatments, we were able to pick all those up and continue to maintain, you know, the fire, the attack on the, on that bridge system that we were utilizing. You know, I, I don't think we've ever been on a fire before where we had that much, you know, over a thousand acres outside the line and we're still able to retain and bring it back up to that ridge and, and you know, keep the plan as it was earlier that morning. Yeah, so you were able to see firsthand your work really actually doing the job that it, it was intended for and on your own home forest. I mean, how was that experience for you on the Keldor fire? It was, I mean, I learned stuff from it. Um, little things just like in areas we had prescribed burned in the last 10 years that it didn't require a bunch of people to go back and mop it up. 
um, just how how effective the work was, you know, and this is on the sides of it, obviously the Caldor, when it was through the middle of it, you know, it went through right through a ton of treatments and there wasn't anybody that could get in there and do anything about it. But, um, on the flanks, on the sides, that was pretty, re uh, rewarding. And even though it was challenging because, you know, a lot of people weren't seeing it and, um, we, but we just had that many backup plans. And I think, you have to have a lot of backup plans and things in your back pocket, you know, those, that depth, those things to fall back on, um, as far as, you know, multiple treatments roads below you that are, if you're going to pull off a, a holding a significant portion of a fire these days. Yeah. It's incredible. It, you know, just to see how all that happened and, and where the fire went and, you know, how it went through some of that treated area. And it, it was scary for me to sit out here in Montana and, and watch, you know, hear about my hometown, my backyard burning down. It was uh, very interesting. And then hearing all the evacuations and whatnot. So I know for, for a lot of the firefighters on the El Dorado, it was a very different experience having to put in the long hours that you normally would on in a fire season, but at home where you actually would spend more time, it sounds like, than you would have as far as putting in the overtime and making sure that your community is safe. So there's that whole emotional component there that was <laughs> really compelling <laughs> to hear other, other firefighters in the area talk about it. Yeah, it's a lot different when it's in your backyard and and stuff. Yeah. I learned that. Yeah, scary stuff. Um, but it sounds like at least the work that you you know helped to get implemented really did help. Um, you know the fires intensity and in those areas where you provided treatment. So that's that's incredible to me. And I also uh, was told that you just recently won an award for some of the work that you recently did. So can you tell us about that? I'm um, sure. Yeah. The California Fuels Committee, it's a, a subset of the leadership within the Forest Service for, for California that's focused on fuels management, you know, in my job. And they recognized me for what you just, what we just spoke about, the utilization of those treatments and, you know, the, the conveyance of strategy to the incident management teams and showing them what we had as a plan here and why it was going to work. So I still don't know who, who nominated me for it, but honored to, to be recognized for, for that work out there. Well, congratulations. That sounds like a very big honor. Um, so you. I also know that you have, and this is what I'm, I'm very excited to hear about, as well as I'm sure our audience will be too, but that you're currently training to be a drone pilot for wildfire incidents. Can you tell us a little bit more about what it is to be a drone pilot on a fire and how somebody would go into getting that type of position? Yeah, it, it takes a little while because just with, there's a lot of policy and really we're utilizing in the forest service, almost all of our policy, like for purchasing or, you know, purchasing an aircraft or getting a pilot qualified to fly. It's all the same rules for, you know, an actual manned helicopter, whether you're buying it or, or getting a pilot carded, we call it for being able to, to fly it. So we're, we're using those rules. We kind of need to revamp and adapt since now that the unmanned aerial systems are, 
a lot more prevalent. But in general, for me, like I want to make a difference here. And I think where the place I want to make a difference is obviously reducing the fuels out there before we have a fire. The next best thing I think where we're going to make a difference is in getting the people out of the helicopters and out of the aircraft if they're not needed up there. So supplementing the manned aviation, there's going to be uh, manned aviation for a while. You know, the precision required when we're doing bucket works and things like that um, and just how we're communicating that, it's going to be a little while until those are replaced. But there's a lot of other missions like recon, uh, reconnaissance, being able to see with the UAS rather than taking a flight in a helicopter for, for scouting. That's a major risk improvement. Plus, the UAS um, can fly when you're smoked out or at night, which is currently like a really hazardous and um, not real common practice just because it's, it's so dangerous flying low level in mountainous country at night. But with the drone or the UAS, we try not to call it a drone too much because, you know, this isn't a toy. These are pretty specialized aircraft. It can fly using completely just thermal. So right through the smoke or anything where you can't even see, you know, 50 feet. So that's when no aircraft, no other aircraft would be allowed to fly. So that's a huge niche that allows firefighters to, to know what's going on around them um, in those kind of smoked out conditions. You might not know that you have spot fires over the line if they're 100, 200, 300 feet in. And, you know, sometimes we hear them before we even can see them or detect them with anything else without using the thermals. So this is some pretty cool technology should save or reduce the risks of of aviation services to get in it's still kind of a long haul you need to be get get into fire with the forest service and start making the case you know we're doing trainings every year um, in every region and so we're really building our pilot numbers up but yeah the first thing I'd, I'd recommend is getting your part 107 your faa commercial uas license and you can start working on that right now and then start studying airspace and everything else that you need to know to, you know, become a commercial drone license and then also to be become a federally carded pilot. Wow. So you have to have a commercial license to be able to fly the UAS. Why, yeah. why, do you, why is that? Um, to utilize the, the rules of the FAA. So we're flying public aircraft, you know, the, just how the forest and the government owns and how they're perceived in the regulations. Um, that's your first step is your FAA commercial drone license. And then you still have like, I think 12 other Forest Service and you know Department of Interior trainings to get open your task book to go fly on wildfires. And then you still have a task book that you need to complete and have approved. So it's, it's a long process, but you know, it's nothing to be scared of. Just like anything in the federal government, perseverance really pays off, in my opinion. Yeah, that's that's great. I think that the use of the UAS technology is really significant as far as, you know, protecting firefighter safety. And then also, you know, when you can't fly and get infrared over a fire, you can essentially you can send the UAS over the fire and get real-time data which will help overall wildland firefighting strategy so I think that you know, 
the use of that and just to know that that kind of technology is growing is is pretty neat to to witness and I think it's extremely awesome that you are uh, training to be a pilot for one of those I think that yeah that's going to help kind of revolutionize the the wildland firefighting um, somewhat as we progress forward with even these huge catastrophic fires that we've been seeing lately. Yeah, I agree with that. That's pretty exciting. Um, as far as it, it might be the biggest risk reduction that I see in my career. I'd like to share with our audience, you know, those that might be listening might want to pursue this type of career with wildland firefighting and, and fuels management. So is there anything that you can share that might help folks pursue a career in this type of field? Yeah, you bet. You definitely need some time in fire. And then there's a, another route, you know, you can, if you're already in college, you can focus on taking some biological sciences courses that'll help you get a job, but really start in fire and start understanding what, what's going on out there. And then, um, you know, you don't necessarily need a degree to do my job. You can work your way up through the, through the ranks as well. So what I wish I knew about it, I wish I really kind of focused on where I wanted to work and started visiting them more, you know, just dropping into the office, getting a face to that name they're going to see on a resume. And then obviously, you know, the USA jobs process is, is hard. It's, it's similar to, I mean, you're navigating a system that, you know, you're, you're brand new to. So there's a, it feels like there's a big wall there. I felt like when I was trying to get hired at different places until I started showing up and calling, doing the research and calling these you know, hotshot superintendents or captains or different people visiting the, the crew base and saying, I want to work here and, you know, making sure that my application was in. It took a while for me to figure out how to do an application well. And I think that's something that a lot of us, for the people that do stop by, you know, we're, we can help, but definitely just try to get some help and be persistent at getting your name out there. Thanks for sharing that information, Jesse. Um, is there anything else that um, you would like to share with our audience that might be useful? I would say give it a shot, especially before you might get tied up in another career and see if it's for you. Yeah, I, I, this is just one opportunity I wanted to share for those that didn't know um, what a fuel specialist did. So thank you, Jesse. That's all the time we have today, but thank you for sharing your story and helpful information for folks that might be wanting to pursue an outdoor career in this type of field. And thank you to our audience for listening with us today. Stay tuned for the next episode where we will be talking with Chelsea Morgan, a botany and range management specialist on the Tahoe National Forest. And she will share what it is to be a botany and range specialist, how she started an outdoor career with the agency and we'll share advice for those seeking a job with the Forest Service. See you next time. For more stories about outdoor careers, subscribe to the Life in the Wildlands podcast, where I will be interviewing outdoor professionals to discover exciting opportunities in outdoor careers, share professional experiences, discuss the hurdles to federal employment, and provide advice on how to overcome these challenges. And if you're interested in outdoor jobs and don't know where to start, or if you already are a federal employee with an outdoor career that's struggling to make it to the next level in your career development, Life in the Wildlands can help you on your journey. 
check out our career counseling and federal resume development services at www.lifeinthewildlands.com or call 406-848-1660.